0: Thanks, Richard, and the praise group. Well, this evening we begin our journey on Sundays that will take us right through 2011, God willing, and take us through thousands of years of history, helping us to meet hundreds of people, hundreds of stories, hundreds of themes and truths all recorded for us in 66 books produced by over 40 writers and all inspired by one author. We were reminded this morning that all Scripture is God-breathed, God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God is the author, as Peter says in his second letter. Men, that's the writers, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The title of this first sermon is Meet the Author, which is the first reading in the Essential 100 booklet. And if you want to join that reading, then please see David about getting a book from him. Without any introduction or foreword or preface the Bible names the author in the very first statement in the book in the beginning God. And by the way the background to that slide is the Orion Nebula one of the Sites visible in our wonderful creation. God is the author of all the scriptures. It is he who speaks to us through every one of the 66 Bible books. And certainly he speaks in Genesis chapter 1. During the reading, did you notice the, the structure of the chapter? Set out in sections, kind of stylized as Richard said for each day of creation. For each of the six days, there's a repeating structure, nearly the same, not quite. First of all, and God said, let there be, and the creation for that day is itemized. Followed by, and it was so. And then we find, and God saw that it was good. Interestingly, not for... Day two. I I'm not. I don't know why, but it isn't there for a day. And, in, of course, at the end of the chapter, it says, God saw that everything he made was very good. Slight variations there. And the sections begin, end with, and there was evening, and there was morning, the whatever day. Now, how well do you know what happened on each day? I'm going to challenge you in a minute. Please close your Bible. The other week, somebody had all the Bibles taken from you, but I have no Bible police here this evening. I'm trusting you. What happened on the day... Well, I'm going to give you a hint. There you are. Starting in the top left-hand corner. Well, it was read to you a few moments ago. What happened on the first day? I can hear people whispering. it Light. And Day and night. That's day one. Day two? You can only really guess from the picture. That pink cloud in the sky. Day three? Land and sea, but more than that, it was a big day, day three. Trees and plants, plants and trees. Vegetation would have done if you'd told me. Day four, right in the center, as it were. I'm hearing all sorts of noises, but I can't make out any of them. (laughs) The sun the moon, and the stars. I thought the hint was in the picture. Well, I hope you'll get the next one. Day five. Sea creatures, yes. Now, I couldn't find a good picture for that, but there are some, are the ducks? And certainly the fish seem to be caught in probably a, a pool that's drying up and the birds are interested. Birds and Sea creatures. Of course, day six, you know. Nobody willing to answer. Yes, another big day. Land animals and humans. And God saw that all that he had created was very good. And of course, on the seventh day, God rested from all the work of creating, it says at the beginning of chapter 2. This was all the work of our Creator God, and we as believing Christians accept that as the truth. Forget about the rantings of Stephen Hawking, Sorry, Richard Dawkins particularly, and Stephen Hawking, well, in his shadow. We accept that God made the heaven and the earth and all that is in them. By the way, I think it's a pity that the term creationism has become confined solely to people who take a very narrow view of creation. Some people talk about the young earth, or even those who believe that humans were created on October the 23rd, 4004 BC at 9 o'clock in the morning. And some people do. I think it's a pity that creation has got that aura around it. And again, I think it's a pity that the term evolution has become identified solely with the godless, accidental occurrence and haphazard development of life, mostly from natural selection mutations. Because there has been evolution. I looked at a set of armor worn by Henry VIII, big man. It wouldn't have fitted me. Is that evolution? Anyway, scientists don't necessarily agree. Recently I came across a very interesting book, written in 2009, a very recent one, in other words, by a man called Andrew Parker. Now you may never have heard his name before, but he's among biologists. He is the one who has best explained the sudden diversity of life during one of the geological periods. And for Richard's interest, I'd say the Cambrian period. Suddenly an explosion of life. And he has made his name through that. In his introduction on page 24, he lays out a table. And I've reproduced it there for you and put labels on. In the left column, he lists a Genesis account of the creation. And in the right one, he sets out what he calls the scientific history of the earth as he has researched it as an evolutionary biologist. And he finds to his astonishment that they correspond. They tally completely. Here's what Parker says about that discovery. The Genesis account, written when it was has no right to be correct. So, can it really be true? Now, his book goes through the evidence chapter by chapter in a very meticulous analysis. And his conclusion is most interesting. Well, first of all, he says, and these are his italics, the opening page of Genesis is scientifically accurate but was written long before the science was known. How did the writer of this page come to write this creation account? The image of life's and the universe's origins formed in the mind of the writer must have been placed there by God. I would argue that the Genesis enigma under this line of reasoning becomes Evidence for God. Meet the creator. Meet the author. Actually, Parker's quite embarrassed about this. But he says, I have stuck to the facts and I've tried to be impartial. Still, I'm a scientist. And incorporating God into my thinking feels like a quantum leap. So he's no out-and-out evangelical. He's no Alistair McGrath. And in case you don't know, Alice McGrath has written at least two books in answer to Richard Dawkins' arguments. Yet the book cover for this book says, For the, for the first time, a respected evolutionary biologist shows how the biblical story of Genesis reflects scientific truths that were only recently discovered and finds room for divine inspiration at the center of this enigma. But for a more detailed summary of Genesis 1, let me turn to someone who's much better known in our circles, Don Carson. In his daily readings, in his at least two books that I have called For the Love of God that give daily readings and comments, he begins the year yesterday with Genesis chapter 1. Mind you, his notes are no simple devotional reading for the day. So, for clarity, I have put what he says into another table. I'll read what he says. You follow on the on the on the screen. First thing he says: on the face of it, this chapter, Genesis 1, and the lines of thought it develops establish that God is different from the universe He creates. And therefore, pantheism is ruled out. He doesn't explain what pantheism is, but I take it you know, God is everything, everything is God. God is in everything, everything is in God. God is nature, nature is God. But God is different from the universe he creates. So that cannot be true. Pantheism cannot be true. The original creation was entirely good, and therefore, he says, dualism is ruled out. doesn't explain what dualism is, but you see the idea, two principles running parallel one to the other. In this case, good and evil, always there, always in operation. But no, the, creation, the original creation was entirely good and therefore you cannot have Evil and good running alongside each other. Human beings alone are declared to be made in the image of God. And therefore, the claim that we are merely part of the animal kingdom and no more must be ruled out. God is a talking God, God communicates. God communicates with us His creation. And therefore, all notions of an impersonal God must be ruled out. And lastly, this God has sovereignly made all things, including all people. And therefore, conceptions of merely tribal deities must be ruled out. God is the God of everyone. Not your God, my God, their God. God is the God of everyone. He has sovereignly made all things. Therefore, he is the God. He is the only God. Have you got it? God is different from his creation. He stands outside his creation. The original creation was entirely good, completely good. God saw that everything he had made was good. Human beings alone, male and female, are declared to be made in the image of God. God's a talking God. God's a personal God. And God has sovereignly made everything that exists, including all people. And therefore, tribal gods are... Well, can't be. Must be ruled out. Now, I've looked at creation in general... And I want to concentrate now on the last part of the chapter, going on from verse 26 that Richard read to us. Verse 26 says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. I think there are two important beliefs in that verse. Let us make man. God created. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And, of course I'm reading back into it. I'm reading back into this passage that the Son was there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He certainly isn't mentioned in Genesis 1. But as soon as we start the New Testament with a kind of parallel passage in the beginning was the Word in the beginning God Genesis 1 John 1 in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God there's the Trinity the Trinity in unity but I want to read with you The best-known passage, I think, about God the Son and His relationship to creation. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created. Pause there. All things were created by Him things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we believe. There, the Godhead. But there's a second important belief that stands out in this verse, obviously. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. I read somewhere that, um, well, somebody said, when God was creating all the rest, we simply have the statement, and God said. But when we come to this in verse 26, we have then God said, let us, before man, human beings were created, the Godhead had a consultation. don't know what you think of that, but I thought it was interesting. Let us make man in our image. We are created in the image of God in His likeness. I'm not going to differentiate between image and likeness that's for another time now this is what points up the contrast between us and the animal kingdom as Carson said human beings male and female together are alone declared to be made in the image of God and therefore the claim that we are merely part of the animal kingdom and no more must be ruled out what makes us different the fact that we're made in the image of God. I've used an acrostic for a long time. I'd like to, you to have valued it with me. And if you don't agree, tell me. Not now, afterwards. We as human beings are inventive. Yes, I know. Animals can learn to do things. Birds have learned that if you drop something from a height it will smash open whether nuts or fish chimpanzees can be taught to pull things towards them through the bars of their cage yes they can learn there was an article in a paper yesterday about the cleverest dog in the world that has a thousand word vocabulary I tried to think what my active vocabulary might be Mind you, I hope it's more than a thousand words, but a thousand words for a dog? I congratulate the owner. The time it must have taken. Of course, animals can be conditioned. They will learn. We all learn some things by conditioning. But uh, inventive. And I thought immediately of the um, Burj Khalifa. That's what it's called in Dubai. The tallest building in the world. Only man. Could have thought about that. Or, again, I was surprised hearing the radio the other day that uh, USB drives hadn't been developed ten years ago. That's ten years. Yep. Very common today, aren't they? And that thing there—it's the smallest one I have—and I put that on it, so I wouldn't lose it. It's too small. That holds what? Eight gigabytes. That's about 10 or 12 times bigger than the first computer I ever had 17 or 18 years ago. Man, different. We're inventive in a way that animals never have been, never can be. We're also morally responsible. When the pup chews your favorite slipper, doesn't know he's doing wrong till he's told. He can be conditioned, Yes. You'll soon learn, don't touch. But he's not morally responsible in the way that you and I are to, to be able to choose between right and wrong. We are able to think abstractly. You see pictures of chimpanzees peeling back bark from a stick and having a chew sitting back and you say he's thinking. What's he thinking? E equals MC squared and how can I adapt that one? Not at all. You and I as human beings think in abstract terms that animals just can't do. And we're also God conscious. Isn't it interesting that wherever and whenever people have been discovered across this world from the very distant past, the most distant past that archaeologists have discovered There's always been a consciousness of deity there. All peoples, all tribes, all nations seem to have a consciousness of God. Animals don't. And then the last one, I'm not too happy about it. I couldn't think of another E that would be helpful. Because only God is eternal, from everlasting to everlasting. But when we talk about eternity, maybe I should say, eternity future we are eternal in that sense yes we had a beginning and death will intervene but we go on animals don't and again wherever religions have been found there has been a belief in an afterlife we are in that sense eternal and Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. And we are their descendants. Which brings me to another interesting book. You recognize Alice Roberts? A bit small there. She's a qualified medical doctor. But she has a PhD in, and I've got to read it, The Study of Disease in Ancient Bones. But bit esoteric, I think. I suppose we'd officially call her a paleopathologist. Ancient bones. She appears regularly, you, you probably know, in uh, the BBC Coast series. And she also travelled the globe for the incredible Human Journey series. And afterwards she produced a book which I couldn't resist buying. I want to point up only one of her conclusions. If you traced your ancestry back far enough along your mother line, in other words, your mother's mother, then her mother, and keep going, then eventually you'd get to a point where you reach a common female ancestor of everyone alive on the planet today. It's not surprising that geneticists have called her mitochondrial or African Eve. Everyone on the planet today hears a scientist saying descended from one mother in the beginning. She supports the theory which is called out of Africa, and our species, Homo sapiens, <laughs> spread out across the globe from the beginnings there. Now I, I know, I know. When you're reading Genesis 2 in the E100 series, you find that the Garden of Eden had a river flowing from it. And it split into four streams, the names of two of which we know. The other two, no idea about. But we have the Tigris and the Euphrates. And I know where the Tigris and Euphrates are. But who's to say that the landscape was the same right back then? In Adam and Eve's time. Or that the Persian Gulf was always there. How far did the headwaters go down? Anyway, that's not the point I'm making at the minute. We go back to one mother, according to this theory. African Eve. So we have evidence from someone who who doesn't Believe in God, even that our beginnings were there with African Eve to his two created humans. God gave the command be fruitful and increase in number. In that statement, God reveals his basic unit for all humanity the family. He said, it isn't good for man to be alone. Brought the two together. Now I talked about this the other evening, Sunday evening, when we were dealing with um, the fifth commandment. In his wisdom, God ordained that a man and a woman would come together in marriage and produce helpless babies. Now I know animals can look after their young even for a number of years. But some of them, I think of the herds in Africa, some of the young can run with the herd after six hours, less than a day. But God ordained that a man and a woman should come together in marriage, produce helpless babies, and spend up to 18 years rearing each one of them. That created the, the family unit becoming, in the end, the extended family. And Setting up the family... God created a stable unit which would ensure a stable society. And we know that where that unit, the family, dissolves, society begins to fall apart. Be fruitful and increase in number. The second command was fill the earth and subdue it. And when you go over to Genesis 2, you find that God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. In general terms, that's what human beings have done, haven't they? With both plants and animals. Until we developed intensive farming, factory farming, which isn't exactly taking care of it. But isn't that where taking care of the environment and going green comes in? A command right at the beginning, creation. So there we have Genesis 1. I haven't said much about Genesis 2, which is an elaboration and extension of what God has already said in Genesis 1. What have we learned from our study this evening? Not learned, but reminded of. Well, we believe that God created the heaven and the earth. We believe that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that humans are made in the image of God and only humans. We're not part of the animal kingdom as such. We believe that marriage of one man with one woman is God's plan for the continuation of humanity, human life. We believe the family is God's basic unit for humanity. We believe we have a responsibility to work and take care of God's world. Meet the author and marvel at his wonderful creation.